Jesus has many things to say about kingdom leadership, as well as to those who lead his kingdom people. For leaders, Matthew 23 must be the least favorite chapter and the hardest to stomach. That said, there is much to learn from the mistakes of the scribes and Pharisees, so we know what to do. Or as we will see from this teaching, what to do not do. Hi, this is Hanson from Archipus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom, that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you join me for a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of the kingdom. We declare and proclaim Jesus our King and ask Holy Spirit, teach us and guide us into all truth. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. If you have been journeying with us through Kingdom 101, you would be familiar by now that the Gospel of Matthew is structured around five major discourses, with narratives in between. These discourses are key kingdom teachings that Jesus gave to his disciples. Number one, kingdom ways. Number two, kingdom assignments. Number three, the kingdom parables or kingdom wisdom. Number four, kingdom community, which talks about kingdom relationships. And finally, kingdom readiness. We've already covered the first four in our previous sessions. In this teaching, we will begin to consider Jesus' fifth and final discourse. I'm tempted to say that this final discourse is especially important and critical as it speaks of kingdom readiness. And in light of present emphasis on end times messages and themes, there is a natural tendency to elevate these chapters and give this discourse more prominence. However, that would also give the wrong impression that the others are lesser and can be thus disregarded and I'll be doing everyone a great disservice. The truth is, this final discourse cannot be lived out rightly apart from the first four. Kingdom readiness is entirely premised upon kingdom ways, kingdom assignments, kingdom wisdom, and kingdom relationships. I believe when Jesus said to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you, he meant all things, everything that Matthew has recorded for us, all things in all the five discourses. Throughout his gospel, Matthew identifies Jesus as the son of David. He is the Messiah to come, as prophesied in the Old Testament. And in constituting a new Israel, a new messianic community, Jesus parallels Old Testament types demonstrating clearly that all these point to him and are ultimately fulfilled in him. In discourse number one, as Moses gave the law on Mount Sinai, Jesus presented the way of the kingdom through the Sermon on the Mount, how to interpret it and live out the kingdom rightly. In discourse number two, as Joshua led Israel to take the promised land, Jesus sent out his disciples to advance the kingdom preparing them for challenges along the way. 
In discourse number three, as Solomon was given wisdom to rule over Israel, Jesus revealed the wisdom of the kingdom, often counterculture to the wisdom of the world. In discourse number four, as Elijah and Elisha called out a community in the time of the divided kingdom, Jesus established and taught his ecclesia to live differently, to carry the spirit of Elijah, to be the forerunner to prepare a people for the return of the king. In the fifth discourse, we notice the same pattern. As the prophets called leaders to account, Jesus did the same. As the prophets warned the leaders and the people of Israel, and later the nations, pronouncing woes and judgments, Jesus did the same. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 6 to 20. Five woes. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 8 to 23. Six woes. And later, Jesus in Matthew 23, verses 13 to 36. Seven woes. As Jeremiah wept over Jerusalem, Jesus did the same. As Ezekiel announced that the glory would leave the temple, Jesus pronounced the destruction of the temple in Matthew chapter 24, verse 2. As the prophets declared the terror as well as the hope of the day of the Lord, Jesus did the same, speaking both of judgment and rewards. We've already seen through our study of Matthew 21 and 22 that Jesus is not only king, but also priest. And here in Matthew 23 to 25, Jesus is clearly prophet. Jesus the Messiah is prophet, priest, and king. And here's a side note. Let us notice and not miss the pattern lest we think that Jesus' prophetic pronouncements and warnings only applied to them then and not to us now. When we look at the fifth discourse, we notice two parts. Matthew chapter 23 is public in the temple, and Matthew 24 to 25 is private, usually referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Matthew 23 serves also as a conclusion as well as a transition. Although the chapter begins the fifth discourse, it is a conclusion of Matthew 21 and 22, closing the narrative that describes the confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders. It is also a transition, setting the context for the private teaching between Jesus and his disciples on the Mount of Olives. With a better understanding of the structure, context, and backdrop, we are ready to get into the first part of this final discourse. Let's read Matthew 23, verses 1 to 12. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do, but do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. For they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places at feasts and best seats in the synagogues 
greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and your all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's begin by setting the scene. Matthew 23, the first verse, tells us that Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples. This is publicly still in the temple grounds. By now, the scribes and the Pharisees have probably left the scene after failing to trap Jesus with their questions. But as a good leader and a good teacher, Jesus does not leave the confrontation open-ended, but concludes and presents the key issues clearly and precisely. Referring to the supposed leaders of Israel, of God's kingdom people, Jesus teaches what kingdom leadership is and what it is not, what to do and what to do not do. In verse 2, he says, The scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. First, we must acknowledge that kingdom leadership comes with a position of spiritual authority. Moses' seat. Now, this is a stone seat up front where the teacher sat to teach the law in the synagogues. And the phrase, to sit on a king's or a leader's seat, means to succeed that king or that leader. This implied that those who sat on Moses' seat were seen to be his successors, inheriting that position and possessing all his authority, which ultimately comes from God. Jesus recognized Moses' seat as a position of spiritual authority. These leaders were duly authorized to teach and to preach the Word of God. And that's why the Lord said, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. Now, this phrase echoes Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 10, where God tells Israel to listen to the priests, the Levites, the judges, and to obey them fully. Now, in affirming their authority, Jesus upheld then the authority of God's Word, that ultimate authority that comes from God. Jesus was not questioning the leader's authority. Instead, Jesus was challenging the way they exercised such authority. He was questioning their behavior. And we see that in the second part of verse 3. Observe what they tell you, but do not do according to their works. He addressed how they abused, misused, or misrepresented this authority, or how they demonstrated this authority in the wrong way and with the wrong heart. Kingdom leaders occupy a position of spiritual authority. And this position comes with a responsibility to exercise authority rightly to interpret and teach the word rightly, as well as to live rightly as an example to all, so that they may observe and do. If not, then Jesus says, do not do. 
Not that we are not to obey God's word, but that we are not to follow the wrong examples of such leaders. Hence, do as they say, but do not do as they do. The Lord then goes on to present five common pitfalls of kingdom leadership that we must all be keenly aware of and be careful that we do not do these same mistakes, knowingly or unknowingly. Pitfall number one. When you look at your leaders, what do you see? When others look at us as leaders, what do they see? I hope it's not a picture of glaring inconsistency. Jesus said of the religious leaders that they say and do not do. The NIV states it very plainly. They did not practice what they preach. Do not do. Do not do what they do. Or more accurately, do not do what they do not do. Do not be inconsistent with what you preach and how you live. Leaders are to lead by example. We are to do what we tell or instruct others to do. Unfortunately, many leaders miss this point big time. Whether we are pastors or elders, cell leaders, leaders at any level, it is so easy to say and teach all the right things, yet not do all that we tell others to do. Leaders are often oblivious or blind to this. Somehow we can't see it, but to others, it can be so glaringly obvious. Parents, we are leaders too. Be aware and please be careful. Often we set the rules for our children only to break them ourselves. Hence the saying, do as I say, not as I do. And we justify it's okay for us because we are adults so we know better. Over time, as they grow up, our children can become disillusioned and they can leave the faith because they see the glaring inconsistency, the hypocrisy in all of us. In parents, in pastors, in elders, in leaders, in teachers, in the church. Do not do. Do not be inconsistent in what you say and how you live. Pitfall number two. In Matthew 23 verse 4, for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. To help and protect others from unknowingly breaking the law, the leaders added additional safeguards, known as fencing. Now, this was with good intention, but it came with terrible outcomes. 613 laws became volumes of do's and don'ts. Over time, it became extremely heavy, burdensome, impossible to keep. Now again, there's nothing wrong with wanting to obey God's word. However, in trying to keep the letter of the law, they missed the spirit of the law altogether. Instead of delighting and finding pleasure in his precepts, it became a pressure to perform a repertoire of religious, ritualistic rules and regulations. Instead of bringing life, it brought death. This phrase, they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. What does that mean? This can mean that they themselves did not do as they required others to do. 
But for some, they really did adhere very strictly to these regimes, just with the wrong interpretation and in the wrong ways. And that's why Jesus had to realign them with his words. You have heard it said to those of old, but I say to you. These leaders would often look down on those who did not live according to the law and did not perform or fulfill their religious duties. They considered these as ordinary people of the land, or in today's terms, perhaps the laity, the people who were less spiritual. And instead of nurturing, instructing, discipling, and walking with these, they would not lift a finger to help them. The leaders would, in fact, disregard and write these off. They refused to help those who were struggling to keep up with their tough rules, but ended up instead, they condemned them. Jesus says, do not do as they do. Come and learn from me instead. And that's what Matthew eleven twenty eight is about. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This passage has nothing to do with taking a holiday or sleeping in. This is about being tired and burnt out from trying to meet the demands of religious rituals and legalistic rules and regulations. Sadly, we observe the same challenges in the church and in ministry today. While serving Jesus is the right thing to do, many are pressured and burdened into doing more and more instead of serving from a place of freedom, of love, grace, and joy, it is done from a place of guilt and condemnation. Do not do. Do not place religious and legalistic demands on others. First John chapter 5, verse 3 reminds us that God's commandments are not burdensome. Teach rightly. Serve rightly. No pressure. Do not condemn those who are weaker or slower. Do obedience. Do discipleship. Do not do legalism. Pitfall number three. Matthew chapter 23, verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their phylacteries broad and enlarge their borders of their garments. By nature of the position, leaders are already upfront and seen. We do not have to try to be bigger or more impressive. No need to draw attention to ourselves. Well, in the case of the religious leaders, they paraded their piety ostentatiously. What does that big word mean? It just means pretentious, showy, and it was all designed to impress. All they did, all their works they do, to be seen by men. While they don't openly announce it, they were subtly ostentatious. Through their dressing, broad phylacteries and enlarged borders of their garments. Let's have a look at what these are. Phylacteries. Well, these are small prayer boxes that contain tiny copies of scripture. And they're worn by pious men on one arm and as a headband. And these were to act as a reminder of prayer and of personal piety. 
Now, where do we get this from? This is drawn from Deuteronomy 6 verse 8, as well as 11 verse 18, where they were instructed to bind these as a sign on their hand and for them to be as frontlets between their eyes. Well, this is meant to be metaphorical, you know, right before their eyes, to remember God's word and also to keep them in their minds and their hearts always, as well as to live out on their arms, on their hands, to live out and to practice God's word. What's well, meant to be metaphorical, but they applied it literally. Now, the enlarged borders of garments, now these are things to hold the tassels described in Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. Now, these tassels are for the counting and the keeping track of various prayers recited. So they enlarge their borders so that they can hold longer tassels and to make it more obvious for everyone to see that they are praying well and they are keeping the commands. Now, both the phylacteries as well as the borders as well as the tassels. Now, all these became badges of status and opportunities to draw attention to a person's practice of piety. Jesus says, do not do as they do. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 18, he already addressed this on the Sermon on the Mount. When you do your charitable deeds and works, your ministry, don't make a big show of it. When you pray, don't stand on the broad street corners and start to pray out loud and show everyone how spiritual you are. When you fast, don't go around with a long face. Do not draw attention to yourself. Do not parade your personal piety, your works or your achievements. Simply put, do not be a spiritual show-off. Now, this is really tough in our age of social media, is it not? Where we tend to parade our lives so openly for all to see. Oh Lord, we really need discernment in this area. When are we merely updating and sharing? And when are we drawing attention to ourselves and to our achievements? Do not do. Do not draw attention to yourself. Do not do things to be seen by men or try to impress others. Pitfall number four. This point is related to the previous one. It's all about being seen, acknowledged, and esteemed by others. Matthew 23 verse 6 says, They love the best places at feasts, the best seats in the synagogues. Well, apparently being noticed is not enough. They seek to be accorded the best, the highest, and the most prominent places. In the synagogues, the religious leaders will seat themselves as close as possible to the scrolls. That's more anointed, I suppose. At dinners and feasts, they expect to be seated in the most important seats. It's about being upfront to associate with the who's who. There's a certain sense of entitlement also by virtue of the fact that they are leaders. If not, they will be offended and may never turn up for the next event. So common and prevalent are such practices that Jesus shared a parable in Luke chapter 14, verses 7 to 11, 
to specifically address this issue. He tells us all, when you are invited to any place, don't go up to the best seats. Just sit where you have to first, just in case you get up there and then people move you down and you lose face. Better to sit where you want to sit first and then later on allow them to promote you and thus giving you the honour. Jesus says, do not do as they do. Do not pursue, clamour or crave for positional prominence. No need. In Christ, we are already seated at the right hand of the Father. Do not seek attention and recognition for yourself. Do not try to promote yourself. Do not have a sense of entitlement. Do not be offended. Pitfall number five. Matthew chapter 23, verse seven. They love greetings in the marketplaces and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. We're all familiar with formal salutations and titles for those in authority. President, Prime Minister, Professor, Doctor, Bishop, Senior Pastor, Pastor, Elder, Deacon. These all denote position, authority, responsibility, as well as carry a measure of weight, honour and prestige. Well, to be clear, Jesus is not saying that titles are wrong or bad, or that honour, respect uh, should not be given to someone in such positions. But Jesus was warning against self-promotion and self-glorification through such titles. The religious leaders relished walking through the crowds to be noticed and greeted by everyone. Not very difficult considering their dress code. They were again drawing attention to themselves. And it pleased their ears to be called by their title, Rabbi, Rabbi. There was a nice ring to it. The rabbi refers to a teacher or an instructor. In the Hebrew, it just means a great one, a chief or a master. Originally, it was just a mark of respect. It was a common term, but it became inflated over time. Later on, it was a title of ordination in Jewish schools with three levels. Rab, the lowest degree of honour. Rabbi, my master, with higher dignity. Rabboni, my great master, the most honourable of all. Jesus says, but you do not do as they do. But you do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. See, there's no one greater than Jesus. All masters, rabbis, great teachers, they're all to point to our Lord and our Master, Jesus. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all serve the King, not the rabbis or the leaders. Only learn from the leaders who teach you about Jesus and His kingdom. But you do not call anyone on earth your Father, for one is your Father, He who is in heaven. Now, this is just another portrayal of the rabbi or master-discipleship relationship, for many consider themselves also as father and son. We are all children of God, so the only business we are to be engaged in is the father's business, not even in our earthly father's business. So we are to join Jesus, to learn from Him, to participate 
in our Father's business. That's the highest business of all. But you do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And this is just another term to make the same point for emphasis. Once more, all teachers are to teach what Christ teaches. It's all about Jesus. Learn from Him. And not just the titles of rabbi, father, or teacher. The same principle applies to all titles, whether pastor, reverend, doctor, bishop, elder. Or today there's an tension on the fivefold, right? People like to be called apostle, prophet, or even other designations. Worship leader, cell group leader, spiritual father, mentor, coach. Well, again, Jesus is not knocking these terms or the use of titles at all. Clearly, in the New Testament, Jesus gave the spiritual gifts of leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. There's nothing wrong with these terms or titles. The problem is in the way we find our worth, in the prestige of such titles and positions. You know, when I first stepped into full-time ministry, I was just called Brother Hanson. That was okay. And then I became Dean Hanson, then Pastor, then Reverend, and then soon Deputy Senior Pastor. I must confess that it did give me a sense of promotion and importance. It sounded nice to my ears when I was addressed by such titles. No wonder the Lord had to deal with my heart by asking me to drop everything, all my titles, and to be a nobody, an archipus. But be careful, even declaring I am archipus can be dangerous if I take pride in the branding of this name and title. And so these days, I struggle with being called the founder of Archippus Awakening. See, if our hearts are not rightly postured in the Lord, even addressing one another as brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so can become a title of sorts. So do not do. Do not revel in the prestige of honorific titles. Do not rely on titles for identity, status, and importance. Our worth and our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. The five pitfalls of kingdom leadership. Now notice how each of these five is rooted in pride and insecurity. Number one, often pride blinds us and we don't even realize that we are inconsistent in how we teach and live. And number two, in placing burdens on others, we pride ourselves as more capable and faithful in pressing others down. We lift ourselves up. Number three, in drawing attention to ourselves, we seek the approval of others to boost our own ego. Number four, in desiring the best seats and recognition, we see ourselves as more deserving than others. And number five, in craving for honorific titles, we rely on these for power and influence to exercise authority and control over others. Proud and insecure leaders are dangerous and disastrous. Do not do. Do not be such leaders, leading out of pride and insecurity. Do not do. Do not follow such leaders in being proud and insecure. 
Jesus closes with very familiar words. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The Lord summarizes by repeating what he has already taught before about greatness in the kingdom. More than a few times through Matthew's kingdom manual, and especially in the fourth kingdom discourse and the narratives in Matthew chapters 18, 19, and 20, or specifically Matthew 18 verse 4, and also Matthew chapter 20 verses 25 to 27. And in one word, humility, because humility is key in all kingdom relationships. Pride has no place in the kingdom. Instead of pride and insecurity, Kingdom leaders are to lead with and from a posture of humble confidence. Now, humility is not putting yourself down, but having an accurate picture of who you are and being totally content and comfortable with that. Whatever the title or position, serve the people. Look out for each other. Serve one another. Now, this is not to say that we are to be doormats, to be stepped all over or pushed around. No, we are secure in our identity in Christ. Leaders are confident in His ways and His empowerment. We are confident in His promise to exalt those who are humble, as well as deal justly with those who are proud. After this discourse, Jesus goes on to set the perfect example of kingdom leadership. The Son of Man humbles himself to serve as the ultimate sacrifice, giving his life as a ransom for many. And for his service, he is exalted to the highest place with the greatest name above all names, with all power and authority. I start out by saying that for leaders, Matthew 23 must be the least favorite chapter and possibly the hardest to stomach. It is, right? And we've only covered 12 verses. There's more. Kingdom leadership is not merely about positions of power, but of spiritual authority. And this is not to be taken lightly because kingdom leaders represent Jesus and He's our King and we represent His kingdom. As such, kingdom leadership must be carried out in kingdom ways with kingdom hearts, in humility, and with full confidence in Christ. The five pitfalls of kingdom leadership are not unique, but common to all. If we are honest, every leader struggles with pride and insecurity. Instead of laughing at the scribes and Pharisees, we should learn from them that we do not do what we are not to do. Now, please do not use this teaching as material or permission to judge and condemn leadership. That in itself is already of the wrong posture and spirit. Do not do. No point pointing a finger at leaders only to discover that you're only doing what you do not want them to do. Instead, pray for your leaders. Pray for yourself too so that you may rightly discern to not do what you are to do not do. I will close with this. As a leader who is still growing in and through my own kingdom assignment, 
These are my convictions after studying and teaching this passage. I do not want to be a picture of glaring inconsistency. With the Lord's help, I want to be consistent in what I say or teach and how I live. I do not want to impose upon others the pressure of religious performance. With the Lord's help, I want to challenge others to know and fulfill kingdom assignments in the right manner without placing unnecessary burdens on them. I do not want my updates to be a parade of ostentatious piety. With the Lord's help, I want to be a good example of one who is awakened, aligned, and assigned without showing off. I do not want to be in pursuit of positional prominence. With the Lord's help, I want to be totally content and comfortable regardless of where I am seated or who I am seated with. Because wherever I am placed, I'm still in the presence of brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's good for me. I do not want to chase the prestige of honorific titles. With the Lord's help, I want to appreciate the respect and honor shown to me without finding my identity in the titles I am known by. If this is your prayer too, you can say Amen, or just type Amen in the comments. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you again for the Gospel of Matthew, the teachings of Jesus, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. As leaders, Lord, we come in humility to repent and say, teach us, Lord, where we have operated out of pride and insecurity. As ones who submit to leadership, forgive us also where we have judged them and condemned our leaders. Teach us, Lord, to serve well and to do right by the word of God and not do as we are told, do not do. And so lead us, Lord, as we serve you and serve your people with love and with humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. And so until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.